Uh, if this is your first time with us while we're doing Ask the Pastors, I know it, it looks slightly strange, but it's kind of become commonplace for us here at Prince of Peace because we've done it now for a stretch of years and, and uh, we always have a fruitful conversation. We like to remind people that uh, it's good to step off of the kind of regular rhythms of our, of our weekly worship and, and spend some time uh, just in kind of open conversation in the context of worship. We call it theology, public theology, theo, God, logos, the word, speaking about uh, the things of God and of our faith. So uh, we've got a microphone, and if you uh, raise your hand once we get rolling here, we'll, uh, we'll be happy to hear a question or a comment. It might be related to the scripture reading we've just heard read, and I want to make just a couple comments on that that occurred to me this morning. Uh, but it might be related to the changing of the liturgical season as we move toward the season of Advent and the celebration of Christmas. It might be some other faith-related question you've carried around with you for a while, and you might want to get some, uh, some of our perspective on that. So, yeah, this, uh, this passage from uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, is one that um, has been kind of in the background of my own uh, faith uh, since as early as I can remember. Uh, this idea, this um, concept of the thief in the night. And I've mentioned before, I, I went to a church camp when I was a kid every summer with our neighbor's family. Uh, it was related to their church, not, our, not Atonement Lutheran where I was attending with my family. But at this church camp, this, this kind of thief in the night theology, I'll call it, was prevalent. And there, we, we even watched this kind of terrifying old churchy movie where, where the, the people, a family, I, this is the scene I remember, there's a family in the kitchen and mom's cooking at the stove, and suddenly half the family disappears. They were raptured, uh, and, the, and you know, so uh, the, the food starts burning on the stove because mom was on the right side of things, but, you know, a couple of them sitting at the table were left behind. Uh, and left behind is the uh, way to put it, because that's the theology behind those quite popular novels and that whole movement, that whole kind of rapture theology, left behind theology. So oftentimes this is one of the scriptures that's pointed to when people want to talk about, warn you, that if you, and the big word there is if, if you are not careful, if you are not faithful, there's a whole list of uh, prerequisites <clears throat> in order for you to be uh, not left behind and for you to disappear when this rapture happens, uh, then, then you're in danger. And so it's a, it's a big looming theological threat. And uh, a, a big part of the, of the, of the church uh, adheres to it and preaches it. And it's, it's terrifying. It's it's threatening. In the end, <clears throat> I would have bad dreams in my bunk at, at this camp, wondering which of my family uh, are going to be left behind when this happens. This is not gospel. You can't possibly call this good news. Uh, so, but then doesn't it just say it plainly here? I mean, aren't people, is God's going to come like a thief in the night, and some people are ready and others aren't, and there's all this all this talk about being prepared and being awake. So let's read carefully. 
Uh, and notice, when we, when we take this Scripture, we get to the second half. So then, let us not fall asleep as others do. Okay. Good enough advice, whatever precisely is meant by that. Stay alert. Be awake. Let us be awake, keep awake and be sober for those who sleep at night and those who are drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, that is, since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on... Now, here's the armor. This is an interesting thing to notice. If, if we're using kind of this military metaphor, this kind of battle, uh, here's, here's what we're told is the armor of those of us who enter into this conflict. Uh, it is the breastplate of faith and love, and for our helmet, hope and salvation. So we, we're teaching our children that the way to enter this, this world with all of these looming theological and physical threats of violence that can come and the, and the ultimate eternal terror of possibly being left behind, here's what you are told you enter this battle with. It is faith and love and hope. Worth noticing. And then finally, for God has destined us not for wrath, not judgment because you didn't get it right or you fell asleep. God destines you not for wrath. All right? Because what is more wrathful than being left at the kitchen table when mom got beamed up, and you got left behind. What is more wrathful than that? It's the worst kind of terror, especially to be imposing on... Now, if it were true, then that's what we've got. Then we'd have to live with it. If it were true. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, get this. Notice this. Tell this to your your fundy neighbors and relatives when they try to warn you that your Lutheran theology is, is uh, not going to cut it. God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Now here it is. So that whether we are awake or asleep huh in my faith i am sometimes hot and i'm sometimes cold I'm sometimes passionate and engaged and sometimes doubtful and apathetic what if god comes when i'm in an ebb huh? what if god shows up at that moment here's what all right and it's in the Scripture that the left-behind nonsense is based on. So we read carefully. One last time. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake, I'm up, I'm strong, I'm passionate, I'm engaged, or we are asleep, eh, I haven't been bothering with worship much. I haven't read my Bible. I've been feeling doubtful. 
Either way, we may live with Him. Therefore, encourage and build up one another. This is good news. This is gospel. It's always there when we look for it. And the whole rapture theology, as one of our good Lutheran theologians uh, and authors has written, is a racket. It's a racket. And it's not good news. And you can have it. But we don't have it. Uh, we, have, we proclaim good. We are bearers of good news. So that's worth a look. It's, it's worth thinking about. Maybe it raises some questions or comments for you. Maybe you've had some connection to that kind of left-behind theology in your life of faith that uh, raises an issue or a question for you. It relates to every aspect of what we teach and preach, uh, the way we baptize and, and uh, administer sacraments by inviting everybody, no matter what your background, to come forward uh, and the way we preach. So. All right, the floor is open. It's up. It's oh, yeah, right here, right there. Two quick hands, my goodness. Oh, thanks, Natalia. We forgot to sign up a runner. Do you want to do runner. it for us, Mikey? Thank you. Mike's volunteering. Thanks, Mike. Oh. Great. I just had three things for you. Three. Uh, first one is, I haven't always been a Lutheran. I became a Lutheran with my wife, but we always were taught that we would stand for the gospel reading. Secondly. <laughs> um, you guys are so good at doing this. How about after your sermon every day, every Sunday, you give us a couple minutes to throw questions at you? Yeah. So that's what coffee hour's for. Feel free. Feel no, free. No, you can't find you guys. Oh, I'm, we're around. Find us. <laughs> I, I come say good hi idea. to all the tables. And the last thing is, <laughs> as a Lutheran, communion is important to me. Why don't we have communion more often? None of those sounded like questions. I mean, really. <laughs> Just want to point out, but that's all right. What was the first one? Oh, why don't we stand for the gospel? No, no, that was just a comment that he was standing, but the, question, uh, the, the request was to have a question and answer time after every sermon on every Sunday. Well, we come up against the clock. That's part of it. We have to carve out a good bunch of the service in order to fit within the prescribed one-hour worship uh, experience that you all have um, woven into your brains. There's this <laughs> thing that happens when we reach that hour. So it's difficult, especially on communion Sundays, baptisms, and all the, all the rest, to just fit it in there. Honestly, I love it. I, I, I could do this every Sunday. Uh, but, um, but there are other contexts where it works. So uh, that's why we make room for this particular this particular service. The other one was, um, the, the other, what was the other question? Like why don't we stand for the gospel and, and, and why don't we have communion every Sunday? Oh, or why, why don't we have it more often? More often. I mean, we have other, we, we tend, it's just the rhythm of the place. We do communion on the Sundays we don't have baptisms and we don't have baptisms every Sunday. Um, it's not theological, it's just kind of the rhythm we have here. There's, I mean, we're, we add communion sometimes. Sometimes we remove communion when it doesn't necessarily 
make sense. It doesn't mean you're suddenly removed from grace when we don't have communion on that Sunday. Um, it's just kind of the way the, the calendar works. It's not, we're not making a theological statement by not having it every Sunday. We're just doing it for. It's hard to do communion and baptism on the same Sunday. So that is the rhythm of this place. We yeah, can, it's We really can have a, a conversation about it. Why don't you bring that to, to the council and the council can have a conversation about it. That would be what I would say. You know, my, my church in inner city Philadelphia had communion every Sunday and uh, my, my church in Chester County, we had communion twice a month like we do here, kind of every other here it's first and third. I think it might have actually been first and third there as well. It's a sort of random logistical decision made by each uh, congregation. Going way back though, the, uh, the churches used to have communion five Sunday. Most churches had communion five Sundays a year. The big high holy days and Whit Sunday. And, um, and so the, the move over the decades, if you will, has been toward more frequent communion um, with a lot of churches settling in on kind of an every other every other Sunday approach, which is more or less what we've arrived at here. Yeah. My question is very different. I'm so glad I came here this Sunday because I was going to ask this question no matter what. I have a forever friend who belongs to a very conservative Protestant church up the way, and she started telling me what the church was doing, and she said, we're getting ready for the rapture. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what to say to her. I was lost for words, believe it or not. <laughs> and, I, and I thought afterwards, well, I could have said, well, aren't, shouldn't you always be ready for the rapture? You answered my question. However, I would <laughs> like the verse in the book of the Bible that you quoted because now I have some ammunition for her. <laughs> It's 1 Thessalonians 5.11 is the one. Well, actually, it'd be 5, 9, 9 through 11. How about you give yourself? Yes. And also, no one knows the time or place is like right in there too. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Jesus said no one knows the time or place, and we're like, but wait, what about me though? <laughs> I think I can figure it out. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Um, hey, Ben. So when I think of like the Holy Spirit, I think of, uh, you know, feeling God's presence in day to day and I'm wondering what, if you have like a similar definition or a different definition, and then also uh, if you have any tips for how to foster that or recognize that more often. I love that question. For me, I think the Spirit, because the words for breath and Spirit are the same in both Greek and Hebrew. I find it the best way for me to connect to God in me, which is how we sort of define the spirit, is by taking a deep breath. And there's lots of science, if you're a scientist-minded person, that says if you take 15 deep breaths, it changes the hormones that are being released in your brain. It changes the stress hormone into the happy hormone. So to me, I think, I don't know, people like God and science, two different things. And I'm like, or maybe it's all the same thing. And when we reconnect to God in us, it does something holy to ourselves. And so for me, breathing is how I connect to the spirit. And if you think about even life and spirit, we say somebody took their first breath 
and they were alive, and they took their last breath, and they were no longer a part of this world. That, to me, is a connection to the spirit in us, and then our spirit may take us somewhere else. But I think it's really beautiful to remind yourself in these moments, God is as close as a breath all the time. That is how close God is to you. I find that very comforting uh, in moments where, as Pastor Chad said, my faith might be at an ebb, in, you know, at, at a low instead of a high, that all it takes is breathing. And if I'm doing that, it's enough. You don't have to have the perfect Bible verse at the ready or, you know, be praying all the time or opening your Bible at every stoplight or all of these things, like whatever people, like the holy things people are doing, it's as close as a breath to reconnect to God. And I think that's, that is enough for me on those hard days. And if you have something else for connecting yeah. to the Spirit. No, I think it's really just an awareness and, um, you know, we're careful not to, to try not to speak of the, the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as having three sort of separate jobs, if you will, um, but all one and the same. And so the way that the Father and the Son are present with us is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And while we, we probably talk less about the Holy Spirit in the Lutheran Church than some other faith traditions, really have a kind of a focus on the Holy Spirit and manifestations as they uh, see it of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm less inclined to to want to define uh, the Holy Spirit beyond the, just God's way of being with me, no matter where I happen to be. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I don't I don't have like strategies or tips for being more aware of that, but I I think it's lovely to think of it in terms of breath and. You know, God breathed life into creation, breathed life into Adam and Eve. Jesus breathes the Spirit into His followers and into us. Uh, we receive the Spirit in our baptisms. We're just surrounded by it. And I think sometimes we, maybe sometimes more than others, we're given the gift of, of feeling that, of an awareness of that Spirit. It often can happen in worship often can happen in times of deep sadness or grief. can happen in times of great joy, the birth of a child. Uh, but we've all experienced it, right? Uh, so it's a little bit, um, you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it, when you, and, and to trust that. And, but also in the times when you feel like maybe you haven't experienced the Spirit or you haven't paid attention to it to realize it's as long as you're breathing, just stop for a minute and realize that's God's gift, every breath and God's presence in that, in that pneuma, the, the spirit, or ruach in the Hebrew. Same kind of meaning to those words, and one of them is breath or wind. Hmm. Great stuff. Good, good questions and comments. Run, Mike, run. <laughs> Hi. Uh, so lately I've been really fascinated is the word that's coming to mind, but I don't know if that's exactly right, but about the idea of like confession and just kind of looking at the way our Catholic friends do it and we do it and just kind of just 
want to understand more of the, the Lutheran theology behind it and why we do it together and how individual is it really much of a thing, but Luther didn't really say get rid of it and just kind of tell me a little bit more about that. It's a great question. And it, we, we do, um, you know, we have these kind of uh, standard beliefs, I think, that here's, here's are some things that we hold in common with the Catholic faith tradition, and here are some things that are, we are real different about. Um, and w one of those is likely confession, but the, the truth of the matter is, while we do have differences in our approach to certain theological dogmas, you know, transubstantiation, or, you know, there's big, big, deep stuff we could dig into. But in, in confession, we are much closer than most, most of us Lutherans would, would want to realize. Um, so that, it's true, because we, we, Lutherans were skeptical of needing an intermediary, huh? needing someone between me and God. I can go directly to God and say, sorry about that, uh, my bad. <laughs> and God can say, all right, you know, I got you. But uh, the Catholics got to go in that goofy furniture and with that screen thing, and then they need the priest to, to de declare, you know, absolution. Well, even worse than that is penance, you know, like, all right, six Hail Marys and four Our Fathers or whatever it is. Uh, we, we're suspicious of all of that business. But truth is, <laughs> the truth is, it's right there. Uh, Pastor Natalia and I have little ministers' handbooks or whatever they're called. Is that what they're called? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know like what that. it's called. The little red book we yeah. carry around. I don't know. Like, in there, <laughs> in there, are rubrics <laughs> to hear individual confession, for instance. Yeah. And at the end of which we would declare absolution in exactly the same way as a Catholic priest might do it in a confessional. And we see value, theological value in that interchange. And it doesn't happen too often on an individual level. Uh, but it can and it should happen once in a while, probably for all of us. Because there's something about uh, sitting across from someone who hears your honest confession and then hearing someone on behalf of God speak the words of absolution, mm -hmm. which Luther said when you hear those words of absolution, you ought to hear it as if it came right out of God's mouth. So while we don't have furniture in here for us to sit down, and um, you, you most certainly could say to one of your pastors or a friend even, I just got to get this off my chest and, I, and I'd like to say it. Sometimes the person you're speaking to is involved in the issue at hand, but it doesn't have to be that at all. And so, yeah, it's great to think through approach and what's happened. We, we had just, we did a corporate confession and then we heard a corporate um, absolution and that's, we believe, is real and true. But we also all carry around um, individual uh, things, sins, if you will, that we might want to confess. And if, if you are inclined, to want to hear an absolution in person, um, that is certainly not un-Lutheran. 
is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> took me a long time to get there. That's what I'm saying. It's not un-Lutheran, and uh, it's very similar to the, to the theology outside of the penance stuff, what, which we don't, that, that does make us squirm a bit. I couldn't tell you that there's some price to be paid in terms of the number of prayers or whatever else I might tell you to do that would, that would measure up with that sin you just con confessed. All I have to say after hearing your honest confession is, as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by His authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Luther said, you ought to hear that as if it came from, out of God's mouth. So, so we expect uh, people to be lining up uh, outside our office doors. So. <laughs> Let's have it. <laughs> Line up outside of his it's door. That's a great That's question. Funny. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to need extra time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know. We know. <laughs> We're aware. We're aware. Well, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you to you two. Love you guys and love this church. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Now, I'm not here every Sunday, but it seems like over the years and years and years I've been coming to church, I typically hear about the same um, gospels being spoken. So this is kind of a two-part question. So how, do, how is it determined what you're going to preach on each week? Mm -hmm. And then the second part of the question is, how come we never hear like about Sodom and Gomorrah or Jonah and the whale and... You know, oh. some of those stories that we heard I love Jonah. Kids. Careful, <laughs> careful. Um, I did a whole Lent service on Jonah one time, so it is, I will, I will, I will go hard on Jonah anytime. Um, so that's sort of a lectionary question. We are a lectionary congregation. Not every congregation does it this way. Some congregations choose, they, base it, they make a series and they sort of, pick verses to fit a theme, or some churches do this thing called the narrative lectionary, which goes kind of on a three-year cycle of the whole Bible. That can get sort of exhausting uh, when you spend a whole year in like Isaiah. It's like, all, it's kind of a lot. Um, so we have stuck with the traditional lectionary, which has a three-year cycle of gospel and then related texts. Um, that means you often have stories that are not heard from Scripture on a Sunday morning. Um, there have been a few times, even recently, my first Sunday back from sabbatical, I threw the lectionary out and was like, I'm preaching on something else today. I kind of been feeling this thing. And so that does happen. Um, the, I think the, I'll only speak for myself here, but the joy of the lectionary for me is having a story that is familiar, being seen through a current lens to to be reminded regularly of the power of the living word, which is that it never stays the same and the thing you preach cannot be the same one year to another because the world is not the same and I am not the same and you are not the same. So I could actually, I haven't ever done this, it's an experiment maybe I should try sometime, but I, I've never preached the exact same sermon wondering if you will hear it differently. Um, but it is interesting for example, next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. It used to be a, a Sunday I didn't really get or understand, and now I love because I feel like I need the reminder in a world that's telling me, you know what's in charge here is Amazon. 
You know what's in charge here is your phone. You know what's in charge here is an algorithm. And, and I need a reminder this time to say, no, you know what's in charge here is God. God is king. God is in charge. Here's what the world looks like when God is in charge. But the, the world is going to constantly tell you, but actually, you know, the algorithm's in charge. Just look at my For You page. Actually, don't look at my For You page on Instagram. But, but, but it'll tell you who is king, who is in charge. That is interesting to me how that changes every year because of the way the world changes. So that is how, I mean, I look at the world and the text and I kind of say, what sticks out to me this year? I'm no longer who I was three years ago when I preached this text. Sometimes it's six years because we trade Sundays and it doesn't always land the exact same. So you have this cycle of hearing a text or reading a text and being like, wow, the last time I preached this, I mean, six years ago is a long time. Uh, who remembers six years ago? I, you know, like, I don't know. And anything before COVID feels like a totally different world. And so lots of the stories feel very different. You know, I think Pentecost, the first year we read Pentecost in an empty room and the words say when they were all together in one place, that felt different that year, right? When you were all at home. <laughs> uh, and then it felt different the first year we were all here again. You know, that, that is the beauty of scripture is that you can't read a story or a, a text without being very aware of the world in which it's being spoken. Uh, and I love that about it. I think that's, that is the challenge of our job and also kind of the joy of the job. I don't know if there's anything like Yeah, that. fantastic. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the answer to the second part of your question is simply that, for the most part, the, those stories do roll around in the, almost all of them in the lectionary. Certainly Jonah, I know we both preached on Jonah more. Than, uh, but that's just an example out of many. So every Sunday, uh, the lectionary provides a, a Hebrew scripture reading, Old Testament reading, uh, a psalm, an epistle, one of the letters of Paul, and a gospel reading. So in the olden days, we used to read all, have, have the lectors read all of those, or we'd, they'd read all three and we'd read the gospel. But we, some years ago, decided it's, it's just so many words and so much stuff gets read and said that doesn't get unpacked uh, that we thought better to just read, most of the time, just one scripture, focus on that, get everything we can out of that one scripture. And the preacher decides from among the lectionary texts for that Sunday which of those texts. Last Sunday I chose the Old Testament text, Amos and Joshua. Um, but, but I could have chosen the Gospel or the Epistle or, or, or some other thing. So, so it's, it's a discipline and it's handed to us. And the, so there's that as a benefit, I believe. We're not just choosing our favorite themes and banging on them um, week after week after week. But we're, we're take, we, we, are, we read the scriptures, and when Pastor Natalia and I sit down to prepare for a Sunday, we read, and, and, and for me, right away at the first read, the first thing I do is just read through them all. Uh, right away I know if it's going to be a grind of a week, <laughs> trying to get to what I want out of this message, or if I just can't even wait, I could preach it right now. Um, and maybe it's about half and half of those two things. And, and so we, we, we have the discretion to choose. So there's, there's value in that dis discipline, I believe. Uh, and then the other value of it is for, for the 
majority of churches, right across the board, mainline churches, Catholic, Lutheran, um, Presbyterian, Methodist, if you talk to somebody in your family who goes to a different church, even denomination, they most likely heard the same scripture that you heard on a given Sunday. So there's just something about that, uh, that, that dynamic that we're all kind of exploring the same parts of God's word together on any given week that's appealing as well. So great question. Good stuff. Nick has let the clock go to zero, so that tells us we, we, we did it. So thank you so much for doing this odd thing that we do. I'm always a little bit worried that we're going to sit up here and there's going to be zero uh, questions and we're all just going to have this long, awkward moment together, but it's, it hasn't happened yet. So way to be Prince of Peace and thanks, Mike, for stepping in and taking the mic. All right, one more time for the road. So then, let us not fall asleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, hope and salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or we are asleep, we may live with him. So you go with hope and faith and love, and it might feel at times that these do not well equip us for a world steeped in violence and distrust and suspicion and hatred, our faith and hope and love enough, our God says yes. And so God sends you. So you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.